Welcome to another episode of Newscape Higher Ed Advisors. I'm Mark Stansbury. Yes, I'm Don Betts. So, Don, we have uh, someone that's been on our show before, our podcast, uh, Newscape. And uh, when we're thinking about challenges and opportunities in higher education, I can't think of anyone more fitting than our guest today. Please, uh, if you will, uh, reintroduce our guest. And I know you have some questions, Don. Well, thank you, Mark. I'm very pleased to uh, be with you and certainly to be with our our guest. It was just about a year ago that we had the opportunity um, of having her with us. And as they say, when you're having fun, a year goes quickly. Isn't that right, uh, Chancellor? Uh, but I would like to take just a moment for those that weren't with us a year ago, just a moment to to frame um, the relevance of this of this interview and certainly of our, our guest. Uh, Chancellor Allison Garrett is the Chief Executive Officer for the Oklahoma State System for Higher Education. And she took that office on November the 8th, 2021. Prior to that time, her resume is extensive and goes through higher education and also uh, throughout the business community and government work as well. Um, I got to know um, Chancellor Garrett a number of circumstances through her work uh, in the uh, Oklahoma City and Edmond area, but also when she served as president of Emporia State University, which um, we belong to to the same athletic conference, and, and we knew each other uh, beyond that as well. I was most pleased with when Chancellor Garrett took the position was the um, perspective that she was able to bring to that position. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult task to be chancellor, I should, I should get a smile out of her on that one, in terms of the challenges and the opportunities dealing with the public and the legislature and et cetera. But I understand that this is a very large and complex system and that she is a chief executive officer. So with that very abbreviated overview, I want to welcome Chancellor Allison Garrett back to the program. Wonderful to have you with Newscape. Thank you so much, Don and Mark. I appreciate it and look forward to visiting. Well, thank you. I know you are incredibly busy. Last time I went back through some of our questions and I just felt so well informed. And I guess what immediately comes to clear to anybody that listens to you, uh, Chancellor or Allison, if I may call you that, uh, for the conversation, is your command of the of the facts and of the reality that you deal with, which has always, I think, been a hallmark of your leadership. So if I could look back to November the 8th and then looking forward to today, I was wondering if you might have um, some perspectives on uh, the challenges and goals that uh, that you saw when you first stepped in. And I guess this is a question I'd like to ask. Was there anything that surprised you when you, after you took the position and realized, all right, um, I am the chancellor and I've been president and a number of other things, but um, were there any surprises? But first, gen- the general sense of what the year has been like for you. Well, you know, it has been an exciting year in so many ways. And uh, for me, a highlight throughout the year has been visiting our campuses around the state. We have 25 uh, public higher ed institutions, and I've uh, been visiting those. I've visited a number of career techs. I've visited several private institutions as well. But just having that opportunity to get to know people on all of the campuses, an opportunity to engage with some students, has been a real high point of the year. I've also truly enjoyed working not only with the team here in the state regents offices, but also with the regents. We have a a phenomenal board of nine regents, and uh, it has been a real joy to work with that talented group of people and um, was uh, in so many ways um, just a time for me to spend listening and exploring and getting to understand the state of higher ed and the state of Oklahoma a bit better. 
than I did when I first started one year ago. Um, but the the biggest surprise, I think, and it shouldn't have been a surprise, but just um, is how wonderful the people are here in the state of Oklahoma. And, um, you know, I mentioned having the chance to visit our campuses, having a chance to work with the great people here on staff, work with uh, members of our legislature. And it's clear that while there are challenges, we have a phenomenal group of people who are interested in forging a path for Oklahoma that is uh, incredibly bright. And I'm just delighted to play a part of that. Well, and you are playing an, an important role. And when you listed the uh, constituencies that you deal with, one of those that I was very familiar with was the Council of Presidents that you meet with on a regular basis. And you are the touchstone for all of the presidents to the system. And so I, I have a great respect for the role that you play. And, and thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us together. You made a brief reference in your comments just now to career tech. And there are people in Oklahoma who are obviously very, very well aware of career tech. And I was just wondering if you might be able to talk just a bit about the relationship between higher education and career tech. I would love to. Um, as I mentioned, I've visited a number of campuses um, of our career tech uh, system over the last several months. I've worked uh, closely with Lee Denny, who has been the interim for most of my uh, year in office. And uh, that has been a lovely relationship. And uh, there are so many things that higher ed and career tech have going on um, between them that I think maybe people don't necessarily realize. We have over 360 different articulation agreements between our higher ed institutions and our career techs. And um, while we serve in many ways um, somewhat different audiences, um, different groups of students, different facets of the Oklahoma economy, there are some clear areas of alignment. And, uh, you know, one great example might be in the nursing programs that many of our career techs have and many of our higher ed institutions have. Uh, the career techs produce LPNs, we produce RNs. But what is beautiful about what's happening in the career techs is that a student could, as a high school student even, um, go through and complete most of their LPN program finish up fairly quickly after high school, and then be working bedside while continuing on into an RN program at one of our higher ed institutions. And of course, most nurses would probably be interested in doing that because the scope of practice is broader and the pay is quite a bit different, quite a bit more for the RNs. Um, but we've got some amazing examples of those partnerships. And the one that I think of as maybe the most recent example is Northeastern Oklahoma College up in Miami is partnering with uh, Northeastern Tech on uh, building out a new nursing site. And uh, that will um, hopefully produce more nurses for the state. And it is a wonderful partnership between higher ed and the career tech in that area. And there's lots of examples um, like that in a variety of areas. I'm really pleased to hear you speak this way, Chancellor, because I think it's important for people to understand the op opportunities for collaboration to serve the people of the state. And that's exactly what I'm hearing from your comments. Well, you raised the issue about workforce. So I would like to ask you a little bit about that. If you, you read across the literature in the country, great deal of emphasis on workforce development, on what we call STEM initiatives, mm. science, technology, engineering, mathematics, et cetera, as being leading topics. And I'm interested in, in what you see in that area in terms of higher education and contributing directly to workforce development and to STEM. Yeah, well, I, I do think that is a huge, huge area of opportunity for us. Let me first just take a moment to brag on our institutions and on our students. Um, over the last decade, 
higher ed in Oklahoma has seen a decline overall in enrollment. But over that same decade, we had a 47% increase in the production of STEM degrees, which is pretty phenomenal. And uh, the praise goes to our institutions and to those students who are pursuing those STEM degrees, uh, because it takes a lot of work, um, as those are often challenging majors. Um, this last year, the uh, state legislature gave us a little bit of additional money. The uh, money was intended to promote the production of additional STEM qualified graduates. And um, so we divvied up that money on the basis of uh, STEM credit hour production and degree production. And um, we'll take a look at that here in another couple of years and uh, rebalance if necessary. But um, I think we'll see more and more of that targeted investment because it's so clear that that's what we need. And, and I say that as someone who is a proud English major, but today the growth opportunities uh, mostly do seem to be in STEM fields. And uh, we've got all sorts of opportunity to uh, work with our high schools, um, to assure that high school students are coming in ready to pursue STEM uh, degrees, to work with the career techs, um, and to work with employers on what those specific needs are. And, um, you know, it makes me really pleased that we've been able to increase our STEM degree production so much, but I think there's much more that we can do in the coming years. Well, I'm so pleased to hear that statistic about the 47% increase in the STEM degrees. I know many of us across Oklahoma higher education really put an emphasis in that area, and it's light nice to see the productivity. So that's terrific. So related to that, and I'm going to get back to Mark here in a second, in Oklahoma City, and you well know, uh, there's been a very strong emphasis on, on STEM work, et cetera, and also now the emergence of what we call the Innovation District. Right. And when I think about that, because we were involved from the beginning and very interested being a metro institution when I was at UCO, very interested in your sense of how higher education directly connects to that innovation district. And because I think it's going to be a driver for the state or it could be. You know, it should be a driver for the state. As you look across the United States, um, those states that are experiencing uh, robust economic growth um, are often doing that because of the proximity of higher ed institutions. Uh, to industry. And um, the Innovation District allows us to do that because we've got not only UCO, but we've got OU and OSU and Rose State and OCCC and uh, some private institutions all in the Oklahoma City greater metro area. And uh, when you think about what an Innovation District can do, it's, it's a wonderful kind of um, symbiotic relationship between institutions and industry in that um, industry can be providing wonderful internship opportunities, research opportunities. And at the same time, the graduates that higher ed produce will go to work in those companies. And uh, you'll even see uh, new industries, new companies coming out of the uh, research work that, that may be occurring in something like an innovation district. And so it's very exciting to see the investment that Oklahoma City has made in the Innovation District. Over the next several years, we'll see a lot of new companies arising and existing companies growing as a result of um, that investment. Before I pass it back to Mark, I just want to make a parenthetical comment with something you just said. I absolutely embraced your notion that all of the institutions have a role to play. Mm -hmm. And I think you're, you're weaving that together. It really enriches 
the public's understanding of what higher education can mean to their future. It's not just about an institution. It's about the system and how we work together. So congratulations on that. And Mark, I uh, don't want to totally take this this conversation uh, by myself with, with uh, Dr. Regular, but please go ahead. Well, I'm loving this. This is wonderful. And, uh, you know, I think of what you just say, the role of institutions, the role of regents or trustees. And I had the honor of uh, working with Chancellor Allison at uh, Oklahoma Christian University back when uh, you were working there in a professional matter, not just a student. And uh, you did a great job for uh, Oklahoma Christian. And I know you're doing a great job here for as chancellor for Oklahoma. Uh, and uh, you, you've always excelled. I know that in everything you've done. But uh, one thing that's on my mind is the role of a board of regents and trustees, but specifically in Oklahoma, the regents, the state regents, but across the certain levels of, of boards there are in the state uh, on the institutional level, as well as systems and so forth. And uh, what have you found as far as the interaction is? And how, for someone that's coming in, and in fact, I used to get this question a lot, those that are uh, in higher education, professors and others, they really were going, what does a regent really do? What what opportunities can they provide? You know, we think about funding or, or efforts like that, but it's pretty broad. And you have this relationship, you mentioned a good relationship with the state regents. Can you tell us more about that relationship and the role of a regent that be successful regent? And to be the most effective reason, because it's the state regions, Rousseau, other systems that come to play, um, even institutions by themselves that have regents. And, and, and a lot of folks do not understand uh, really what a regent does, but also what role they can play in the systems. Well, thanks for that question, Mark. And let me just first say the pay is not great. <laughs> and uh, Mark, I know you were for many, many years. And so thank you Love for that it. public yeah. service. Oklahoma has um, a bit of an unusual structure, and it's a little bit complex. Um, and so I work for the Oklahoma State Regents for Higher Ed, which is the coordinating board. And, um, and we uh, serve to establish policy that impacts all 25 of our institutions. Um, we allocate funding across those institutions and, uh, and set some high-level system direction. And, uh, and then, Mark, I know for many, many years you were with the Russo board and even chaired that board, mm -hmm. maybe more than once. And uh, that board is over our regional universities here in the state of Oklahoma mm -hmm. and um, provides great um, direction, policymaking um, for those institutions. And then many of our institutions have their own boards as well. So the community colleges, OU, OSU, um, each have a board. And each of OU and OSU have some other institutions that are under their boards as well. So, for example, Cameron University is a part of the OU um, system and Langston University is a part of the OSU system. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we see some really strong impacts from that and something that I'm hopeful we can replicate even at the um, broader system level. When you think about what the OU system is able to do, for example, um, across the institutions that are a part of it, it's able to help do some large purchasing of, say, computer equipment, things like that, that can save the smaller institutions some money. It can provide some expertise. Maybe it's grant writing or something like that that the smaller institutions might not have. And I do think there's opportunity for us to replicate some of those efficiencies at the system level. And so I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, the other thing I'll just mention is uh, just sort of my general sense of what a board should be about. Mm -hmm. And um, I always view the number one 
um, objective of any board of trustees, a board of regents, a board of directors, as hiring the CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of Russo, hiring the CEO is plural. And hiring terrific people, giving them some direction, and holding them accountable, but letting them do the day-to-day management. In fact, as you all know, because you're experts in higher education, too much um, interference by a board can actually get a school in trouble. And I was looking for a, a, a euphemism for interference, but the Higher Education Commission actually has a criterion that uh, basically says hire the managers and um, and then stay out of their way. Let them do the managing. You know, a board of directors in the corporate setting would be the same. Hire the CEO, set some high-level direction, and hold the CEO accountable for getting there. And I've always loved, I think I used this on our last podcast, I've always loved what I thought was a, a very pithy phrase. In the corporate sphere, the phrase is nose in, fingers out. Mm-hmm. So ask a lot of questions, <laughs> set high-level policy, and um, don't try to run things. Um, years ago, Auburn got in trouble because I think some of their trustees were trying to hire a football coach or something like that. And SAC said, you know what? We may actually put your accreditation on watch because of this. So mm-hmm. creditors take it pretty seriously. But we are really, really fortunate here in Oklahoma to have wonderful regents. And uh, among other things, I would say our regents, because they are so well-connected and have great understanding of higher ed, they become amazing advocates for our institutions. And I really appreciate that, whether it's recruiting students to the institutions or helping uh, get funding for the institutions or helping connect institutions with donors. Our regents are truly a phenomenal asset for our entire system. Thank you, uh, Allison, for that, those those comments. I'm I was reminded when uh, someone from the public after graduation, I had introduced Mark to speak, and um, they were absolutely uh, astounded that Mark didn't get paid for being a regent. They couldn't possibly understand why he was, in fact, doing this work year in and year out, his own personal time. So your comments were were so appropriate. Um, Chancellor Garrett, I have a couple of questions I'd like to ask you that uh, some of the challenges that higher ed seems to be facing, not just in Oklahoma, but across the country, issues that I know that you're you're aware of. One of the issues that comes up constantly are the barriers of, of access and affordability, how students can get in, how they can stay in, and can they afford to be in, and, and obviously successfully graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to have your perspective on how Oklahoma is proactively addressing those challenges of access and affordability. Well, that is that is a great question, because at the end of the day, for the Oklahoma economy to really move forward, uh, we need to be pushing more students through our system and to a degree that is valued in the marketplace. And, um, you know, I've, I've been a big believer for years in access and affordability. Let me just share a few things um, with you that I think are important concepts. One is that Oklahoma higher ed institutions remain remarkably affordable. If you look across our system, all of our institutions compared to their peers, and uh, Don, you're familiar with that concept of a peer limit. Sure. When we look at our higher ed institutions um, and we're looking at what tuition and fees they charge and comparing that to similar institutions, our institutions are incredibly well-priced. In fact, um, I was looking at something just the other day, and we're, I believe, the eighth lowest in the country in terms of pricing. And uh, many of our institutions, whether it's our regional institutions, our research institutions, our 
or two years, when you compare them to similar institutions in other states, are incredibly um, affordable. Beyond that, when we look at the level of debt, everybody talks about student debt um, that students take on. Our students take on a fairly modest level of debt usually, and a smaller percentage of our students are taking on debt than you would find in many other states. I want to take just a moment, if I could, just to talk about uh, student debt for a minute, and then I want to talk about promise. When we talk about student debt, um, one of the things that I think is um, a common misperception is that it is the least able to pay who are taking on the most debt. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what you know people would just naturally assume because it kind of makes sense, right? When I was at a fairly expensive private institution, I asked our financial aid people to run some numbers and, and look at the correlation between family income and debt. And they came back and they said, well, it's kind of curious, but the higher the family income, the higher the debt. And I thought, yeah, that is kind of curious. Then I was at Emporia State, an inexpensive public institution, and they ran the numbers for me. And the higher the income, the higher the debt. And then the Federal Reserve, conveniently, about a year and a half ago, came out with a study that said, higher income, higher debt. And so you ask, well, what's going on there? And I think there might be several things going on. One, you might see um, wealthier families more often choosing a state's flagship universities, which typically come at a somewhat higher or maybe substantially higher price point. Secondly, those who are at the lower end of the income scale are probably getting Pell Grants, and that can be very, very helpful. They may also be a bit more debt averse. And um, so you've got some odd dynamics. I said I wanted to mention the Promise Scholarship here in Oklahoma because that is truly amazing. Um, we have around 14,000 or so um, college students who are recipients of the Promise Scholarship, which for those who qualify, and it's designed for families that are uh, making 60000 or less. If they have additional dependents, they can go all the way up to 80000 But um, in income level, um, the Promise Scholarship covers full tuition. And uh, that is such a bargain. So if you're a Promise Scholar, you're getting full tuition. Maybe you're getting a Pell Grant on top of that. And if you have a, a side hustle, a job on the side or something like that, it is absolutely possible for uh, students even a very modest financial means to go to one of our institutions in the state of Oklahoma and graduate with no or very low debt. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm really excited about the Promise Scholarship and um, excited to work with the team here and, and those at our institutions to uh, get the word out about that great scholarship opportunity. Allison, taking that into account, you've already addressed some of this already, but the future of higher education as far as the goals and objectives from your perspective now that you're year in and getting ready to continue uh, looking into the future, where do you see the future? I mean, we many of us, especially having been a regent, say, well, the golden days of higher education are gone. There's no big future. And, and I disagree with that. And I think you do too. But what answers do you have for that, showing them the future vision of higher education in Oklahoma and then nationally as well? Let me just share a couple of things with, with you. And I may have mentioned these when we talked last, but when you think about whether there is still a need for higher education, I think it is remarkably clear that that is still the case. Mm -hmm. And I'll just mention two or three uh, things that I look at. One is 
the Georgetown Center for the Workforce um, and Education has been saying for, I think, over a decade now that about two-thirds of all new jobs being created are jobs that require a college degree. And, you know, if you'll do a little bit of a thought experiment with me, um, I've been doing a lot of thinking about jobs that are not robot proof. Mm -hmm. One of my colleagues texted me a little short video of a floor cleaner in a Sam's Club that she was in a few months ago. And uh, that floor cleaner a few years ago would have been driven or operated by a person. And now it's kind of like this giant cross between a Roomba and a Zamboni, and it doesn't need a person. Um, and there are so many jobs that are going away. You know, we think about the trucking industry. And as you think about the trucking industry, you know, there's so many trucking jobs out there right now. They pay really, really well and um, are a great option for some people. But what happens when the trucks are autonomous vehicles? Mm -hmm. um, you know, that technology is developing rapidly. It's already been approved in many states, including the state of Oklahoma. You think about the warehousing and logistics industry beyond trucking, warehouses are often now dark because a robot does not need the lights on to pick product off of shelves. In the ag area, um, you're seeing what used to be jobs done by people um, now being done uh, remotely. So I could sit in a pickup truck at the intersection of four fields and run four combines. And I could, from my pickup truck, run a bunch of drones that are going back and forth to reload their payload and then spray fertilizer or pesticide and then go back and recharge and reload the payload again. So many jobs that are going away. New jobs get created, but they're jobs that involve having a level of education that will allow you to design and build those machines, program those machines, fix those machines. And even when we look at what our own Oklahoma Department of Commerce says are the critical occupations over the next few years, the majority of those require a college degree. So I don't think the need for a college degree is going away. And I'll add one last thing that I think is a reason why employers still continue to place tremendous value on a college degree. And that is that having a degree is an amazing proxy for grit. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that employers value very, very highly. And so students who go through higher education are getting a wealth of experiences, working with others, broader understanding of the world, not just the how to do something, but the why, because the how to do something is going to change to understand the why you can be prepared for the future. And, um, I'm, I'm excited about the future of higher education because of the ways that it prepares students for a future that we can't even imagine today. I couldn't agree more with everything that you've said. I think the, the role of adaptability in our growth and development as individuals is going to determine our future. And I think higher education has an opportunity to um, focus on how we become more adaptable. And I think you've just articulated it in, in so many ways. Um, our time is sort of closing here. I had so many more questions I wanted to get to, but let, let me get to this one as, as we close. You've served in these very significant positions uh, of leadership, and you mentioned earlier about the role of boards primarily are to find leaders um, to make sure that the right leader for the right institution to, and to make sure that they, they focus on the growth and development of that leader. But when you look back across your, your career and you're asked to speak so many times on so many issues, 
many of us serve as as mentors for those who aspire to these positions. Mm. They can be young and bright, middle-aged and bright, whatever, but they see what you do and they say, I would like to try to be a college president, a system chancellor, et cetera. What qualities, what advice in terms of qualities would you offer those who are aspiring to important roles in higher education that require leadership? I would really appreciate your perspective that we could share with our listeners today. I'm going to give you the serious answer, but then I want to follow it up with uh, what I have always thought was a really pithy way of describing uh, the role of a leader in higher education. But um, I think being willing to listen is hugely important because there are so many significant issues. Um, and, uh, you know, you all have probably read that Harvard Business Review article from several years ago about wicked problems. And there are wicked problems. They're incredibly complex. And you might think you have a solution, but, um, you know, there are unintended consequences. So it's really important uh, to be a great listener. I think it's incredibly important to be flexible. And when I started here at the state regions, I told the old preacher story about the pot roast. I don't know if you all have heard that one, but I've heard several preachers tell it. I think they all tell it like it was about their family. But you've got a young couple and they're in the kitchen. They're fixing a pot roast for Sunday uh, dinner. And uh, the young man is is there. He's got the roast in front of him and he hacks the end off of the roast. And his wife said, why did you just hack the end off of the roast? And he said, well, that's how mom always did it. So they go to his mom and they say, why did you always hack the end off the roast? And mom says, well, that's how grandma always did it. And they go to grandma and grandma says, well, honey, it's because my pen was too small. And, um, you know, I just I just think sometimes there's comfort in doing things the way they've always been done, but that does not mean they are the best way to do things. And so um, being willing to try new things, and that's a little frightening, but being willing to try new things is incredibly important. And then I think also having a real heart for students. You know, as we look at the students who are coming to our institutions, so many of them have so many challenges uh, that they've dealt with. And I I think about um, the president at one of our community colleges telling me a a few weeks ago about a young man who showed up at Redlands Community College. And, you know, it being a smaller institution, the president gave the student a tour and he enrolled. And he was asking this young man where he was from. And he was from Tulsa. Well, how'd you get over here? He walked from Tulsa to Redlands and um, and did it because of a desire for an education, a desire for a different life. And I think about what we do as something that is transformative, not only of our students with whom we interact every day, but their kids and grandkids' lives. Mm -hmm. Last thing, and this is the kind of funny version of it that I'll say is Herman Wells, who many, many years ago was the president of Indiana University, um, used to describe the traits of the perfect college president, and I think they apply to chancellors as well. He said, you need, and I'm going to botch it a little bit, but you need the wisdom of Aristotle, the cunning of Machiavelli, the physique of a Greek athlete, the height of a rhino, and the stomach of a goat. (laughs) Those are some of the traits that I think uh, academic leaders need in today's world. Well, we're going to put that on the list of, of required characteristics for any president to be hired in the future. In the search description. <laughs> no, of course, it should be in the show notes for sure. Well, Allison, uh, what's the best way to, for those that want to know more about your position, about the state regents, 
about the website and uh, learning more about higher education Oklahoma. What is your website? So it's O-S-R-H-E dot E-D-U. That's O-S-R-H-E dot E-D-U. And um, I would also invite you to follow us on social media. The state regents have a Twitter account, a Facebook account. I've got a Twitter account. Um, I think it's Oklahoma Chancellor. And um, we have a lot of great programs like Promise, Reach Higher, um, which is a program for adults returning to um, higher ed. We've got um, Upskill OK, micro-credentials for employers, all kinds of tools there. I should also mention on our website, we have a, a new landing page for employers that pulls a lot of employer-focused tools together, like how do you post a job with all of our institutions? And what kinds of programs do we have for your existing workforce? So lots of great um, resources available at osrhe.edu. Wonderful. Dot and I, thank you so much for being on Newscape. Uh, congratulations on the first year completed and uh, much success in the new year ahead. We appreciate you very much for what you're doing for higher education in the state of Oklahoma. Chancellor Allison Garrett and Don, thank you as well. Happy holidays ahead. And uh, this concludes this episode. And we hope to have you back, Allison, in the near future as well. Again, you've been listening to Newscape Hired Advisors. I'm Mark Stansbury. Thank you, Chancellor Garrett. And that's Don Betts. Thank you. Tune in for upcoming episodes of Newscape Hired Advisors.